I want to invite you this time to turn your Bibles once again to the book of Jude, Jude chapter 1. This morning we continue our sermon series on the Apostle's response to the news that he had heard um, about several individuals who had worked their way into the body of Christ and were advocating a doctrine that, that denied who Christ was, even though these same individuals were in the same breath claiming to follow Jesus. And in the two weeks since we began this series, We've discovered two important truths that I want to quickly remind you of before we jump into today's message. The first truth we, we, we learn is that all of us, as members of Christ's body, we share in this responsibility of preserving the integrity of our faith. So in other words, advocating for our faith, or as we've seen in the scripture, where Jude says we are to contend for our faith, he, he makes this um, plead to each one of us on the basis of the fact that every one of us, by way of the experience that we have in coming to know Jesus Christ, where our relationship with Christ is not based on hearsay or secondhand information. It is based on a personal experience of the knowledge of Christ and that knowledge changing our lives, that every one of us is responsible for contending for, for defending, for advocating for our beliefs. Again, as I mentioned earlier in our series, it is easy for us to look to those who hold office within Christendom and say, well, they're, they're the ones that are responsible. And yes, in a sense, those who are called to lead are called to lead by example in contending for our faith. But it is not only their task, it is all of our responsibility because we've all experienced the power of the gospel to change our lives. When Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. It is not just his words, he is speaking on our behalf. We have all experienced this power of the gospel to change. And because we've experienced this, this power, we have a responsibility to preserve the integrity of our beliefs. And then last, we learned that exercising this responsibility of contending for our faith requires that we, you and I go beyond just merely saying that we are followers of Jesus, but we must back it up with a commitment to live a God-honoring lifestyle. Jesus said many times in his ministry here on earth that if you love me, you will obey me. You will do what I command you to do. That's how we demonstrate that we are with him, that we are for him, that we, that we, uh, we agree with what he stands for. Saying that you're a Christian means nothing unless you commit to aligning your beliefs and behavior to Jesus Christ. He is our standard. We are seeking to become like him. We're not seeking to become perfect because in this body, in this body we don't have the capacity to be perfect. But we are called to become like him in nature, become like him in our, in our, in our, in our, in our worldview, become like him in our, in our beliefs, in our attitudes, and in our actions. And so for Jude, the evidence that certain individuals were not with Christ was that they were promoting ideas that contradicted the truth about Christ that they had first heard when they first came to believe. And so as we set our sights this morning on verse 12 to verse 16 of Jude, we're going to find Jude making a point that I think is very, very important for us to consider, especially in a lot of the times that we're in today. And, and this is it. It is pointless, brothers and sisters, and I would dare say harmful. It is pointless, but also harmful for you and I to embrace any teaching that differs from or denies the truth that is revealed to us in God's Word. Are you hearing me this morning? It is very dangerous for us to adopt any teaching that takes us away from or denies or nullifies or, or takes our focus off of 
the truth that is revealed in God's Word. And I want to illustrate this point by, by taking you back to an experience or, or, or an incident that, that you may be aware of. Some of you that are aware of this, others may not be aware of this. But I remember I was in college when I first heard the name Jim Jones. Anybody remember the name Jim Jones? This is a man who um, lived in, well, he died in the, in the late 70s. Um, but he was a man who was who was uh, famously known, I guess infamously known, for um, leading a group of over 900 people to take part in a heart-rending mass suicide known as the Jonestown Massacre. He led a group of people who, truly believe, who literally believed that this man was a prophet sent by God. Jim Jones was notoriously remembered as the founder and the spiritual leader of a religious group based out of San Francisco, California, known as the People's Temple. From his early days, those that knew Jim Jones re remembered him as a Bible-taughting child. Every time the doors of the church were open, he was there. And as a young child, he was so fascinated by, um, the, the, by the Pentecostal movement, so moved by what he experienced as a young person growing up in the church, that he decided he was going to someday become a preacher. After college, this man became ordained with a ministry known as the Independent Assemblies of God. It's not connected to the Assemblies of God, which we are affiliated with. But he became ordained with this ministry, and very, very soon after, Jim Jones began to win a massive following, mainly because of his ability to not only predict the future, but to also heal people miraculously. And interestingly enough, Jim Jones would claim that these two powers or abilities were because he had psychic powers. With his trademark dark glasses, his suits, and slicked back black hair, Jones impressed crowds with his fire rhetoric and remarkable healings that drew many to his congregation. Sometime later on, accusations started to kind of float around that Jim Jones was illegally diverting the income of his worshipers, and he was using it for himself. Other times, he was, he was known for, despite preaching against sex and preaching against romantic relationships, that he himself was involved in illicit affairs with some of the ladies that were part of his ministry. Um, many of these ladies were even married and he would have affairs with them and he would have children by them. And in time, he would position himself as, in his words, the father of all. And when it appeared that the U.S. government was going to investigate Jones, Jones in 1974 bought a piece of property in Guyana. This is in uh, the northern part of South America. He bought um, a piece of land in Guyana. He convinced a thousand of his followers to relocate with him to Guyana, where they would set up an agricultural paradise that he called Jonestown. But once they got there and they were settled, Jim Jones began to apply unrestrained control, including treating Jonestown more like it was a prison camp than it was a commune. The followers were receiving little food and water to drink. They were not allowed to leave. In fact, they, if they left, there was always that fear of the threat of being shot by the armed guards who stood guard over the perimeter of the compound. Passports were confiscated. Funds were seized to the tune of millions of dollars. Jones went so far as to manipulate his followers with threats of blackmail and beatings and probably death. And then eventually it said that he began to grow paranoid and fearful of a plot against him. And so he started conducting suicide drills that he would call loyalty tests in which in the middle of the night he would wake up his followers and they would be told to drink a red liquid that they were told contained poison, but then after they drank it, they would later be told it was just simply Kool-Aid. Eventually this would go on for several years, and at which time several of his followers actually escaped from Jonestown, made it back to the U.S., and began to lobby for the U.S. government to get involved because they had loved ones that were back in Guyana and they were not unable to leave. And eventually there was a congressman from California his name was Leo Ryan. He took up this case and 
along with a group of reporters and, uh, and uh, some journalists and a TV crew, he flew down to Guyana to go take a tour of Jonestown. And after taking a tour of Jonestown, he asked amongst the, 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 the followers who wanted to come back with him to the United States. And of the hundreds that were there, only 14 said they were going to come back. And so uh, Jones allowed them to go. They got into their, their vehicle. They made a they made a short trip to, the, to a nearby airstrip where they were going to catch a flight back to the U.S. But unbeknownst to these group of individuals, Jones had, had, had ordered some of his gunmen to ambush these individuals. And so as they approached the airstrip, these gunmen opened fire. Uh, uh, Congressman Leo was among five that were killed. Uh, there were two others that were injured. The rest managed to escape. When word got back to Jim Jones that, that some had actually escaped, he was concerned that these ones that had escaped were going to go back to the Guyanese authorities and tell them what had happened. And so he set into motion his plan to have his followers kill themselves. And at that point, he began to have passed around cups of this red liquid that contained cyanide. And every one of these individuals, starting with children, were forced to drink. And interestingly enough, most complied. They, they willingly followed him. By the next day, when the Guyanese authorities showed up at the doorstep of Jonestown, they found 913 people dead. 304 of them were children. Jim Jones himself was dead amongst his followers from what looked like a gunshot wound to the head. And such would be the tragic end for hundreds of people who had somehow embraced this idea that following this man was somehow going to bring some positive benefit to their life. Here's the point I'm trying to make again. If you and I give in to false truth or distorted teaching, there is always that danger that it will take us in a direction that we never anticipated. If every one of these followers of Jones were asked that following this man will result in you dying, following this man will result in you experiencing all of the things that they were going to experience, I'm sure none of those folks would have followed him willingly. But they truly believed that this man was from God. They truly believed that this man spoke for God and they ate everything he said even though it clearly did not sync with God's Word. As we read today's text, we're going to see Jude provide for you and I several reasons why false teaching and false teachers are not worth our attention. You hear me this morning? False teachers, false teaching, it is not worth your attention. It is not worth your devotion. It is something that you must run from. It is something that you must resist. I take you back to what we said in week one, that part of... Part of the ability to discern what is false is by, making, by being familiar with what is true. Too many believers are being led astray because we are not familiar with what is true. We look at something, we hear something, it sounds great, it sounds positive, it sounds pleasant, and we just eat it up, but we fail to go back and filter it through God's Word to make sure, is this the heart of God? And we're going to see how Jude explains to us what Jude, several reasons why Jude says this is the case. So read with me again this morning, verse 12 of Jude, chapter 1. We're going to read from verse 12 to verse 16. Jude writes, These people, referring to those who um, have worked their way to, um, amongst the people and are indoctrinating them with false teaching, he says, to them, he says about these people, They are blemishes at your love feasts. They eat with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain. They are blown along by the wind. They are autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of, of the sea, foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these individuals when he said, See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone 
and to convict all of them of all of the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness, and of all of the defined words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These people are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and they flatter others for their own advantage. Again, remember our point this morning is this. Nothing good or positive can come out of embracing the belief that is a distortion of God's word. And so in this next few minutes, I just want to answer the question, what is wrong about false teaching? What is, why should false teaching be something that we, we not only pay attention to, but we avoid at all costs? And I'm going to give you three reasons based on the scripture we just read. Number one, false teaching is wrong because it leaves us spiritually empty. Why? Because false teaching cannot give us what only God can give us. Here's the, here's the reality. You know, God has put in every one of us a, a, a desire, a longing for Him. Why do you think there's so many religions on the earth? Why do you think people are, people are trying to find a way to connect with God? Because there is a longing in our hearts that money cannot feel, that, that relationships cannot feel, that accomplishment cannot feel. Only knowing, only knowing the one who created us with purpose can truly satisfy that longing in our hearts. And yet when we turn to things that do not, that, that, promise, that promise something that, that, may, that, that we think comes from God, but yet they offer something, they offer nothing, it is because they cannot give what only God can give. Notice what Jude says. He says these are shepherds who feed only themselves. The job of a shepherd is to take care of sheep. That is his primary responsibility. It's not to just hang out, to chill, to just try to find a, a comfortable spot to, to just relax. No, his responsibility is to care for the sheep. And that involves making sure that not only the sheep are protected, that nothing comes, to, comes against them to harm them, but the shepherd's job is to take the sheep to the places where they need to eat. And a shepherd will not take a sheep to a place that is going to provide where, where there's no nutrition or no, you know, nothing that they're going to gain of benefit to their lives. You know, so when you look at the role of a shepherd, Jude is saying to us that, that these individuals who come amongst you and are teaching distortions of the truth, that in reality, they only care about themselves. They don't care about you. So, you know, they, 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 they can be, they can be you know, um, charismatic and they can be attractive and they can, they can make you feel good with the things that they say. But the problem is, if they're not coming from God, then they cannot give what God only can give. He goes on to describe them as clouds without rain. How many times have you ever seen a cloud and you're thinking, oh my gosh, it's going to rain and then nothing happens. You're like, what a waste. It's like, it's like, it's like you, you see a cloud, you expect there's going to be rain, right? And the cloud just passes by and you're disappointed because you're expecting something out of that. But Jude says these are like clouds without rain, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted. Why would he use this phrase right here? Because back in those days, in, in, in that part of the world, autumn was the time when the trees would actually produce fruit. So there's an expectation that it's autumn, trees are supposed to be producing fruit. So if a tree is not producing fruit, it's in a sense not doing what it's supposed to do. The, the nourishment it's supposed to provide is not providing. Wild waves, he talks about foaming of shame. Wandering stars, unable to give light. In essence, Jude is saying that, that, that these individuals promise the world, but they, offer, they give nothing. They, 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 they tout that they speak for God and that, and, that, and, that, and that the things that God promises are the things that they offer, and yet they leave us more empty than the way they, they found us. Psalm 63 verse 1, I want you to hear what the psalmist says. He says, O God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. The psalmist is describing this scenario that all of us experience where, again, as I said to you, this longing in our hearts, 
that, that we seek to satisfy and, we, and, and you know, we can all testify, we, we've tried to satisfy in different things and in different ways and it left us feeling empty all this, all this still, that we recognize that only God can satisfy us. And then in Isaiah 58 verse 11, I, God promises to his people that if they turn to him in repentance and with sincerity of heart, that he will continually guide them. He will satisfy their desire and scorch places and strengthen their bones. It is this idea that, that when, we, when we come to God in sincerity of heart, that we know that God is not going to leave us still wanting. This is why Jesus said... When, when he encountered the, the Samaritan woman and she was telling him, you know, he told about, you know, the, the you know, living water and she was like, you know, let me know where this, this well is so that I can go get that living water you're talking about and I never have to come to get water again. And Jesus let her know this, this living water he was referring to is not a physical water, it, it, it's a spiritual water. And the life that he, he offers is not, is not just a, a temporary uh, you know, uh, uh, addressing of, 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 of a thirst in that moment, but it, it, it's meant to be an eternal satisfaction that, that comes from knowing the Lord. False teaching is a problem because it always leaves us spiritually empty. It will never give us what only comes from God. Why? Because it is not even based or rooted in who God is. Not only does false teaching leave us spiritually empty, but the other thing that we discover is that false teaching exposes us to God's righteous judgment against sin and every act of ungodliness. I addressed this last week, and I think it bears addressing once again, because Jude sees that it is important to address. And in this case, what he does is he recounts. Remember, we, last week we talked about Jude referring to uh, what happened with Sodom and Gomorrah, and what happened with the people of Israel when they were going through the, through the wilderness on their way to the promised land, and how God, God judged them for their rebellion to make this point that God will always judge sin. Jude brings it up again by referring back to Enoch. Remember Enoch was the man that the scripture tells us in Genesis 5 that at a time when the earth was just full of sin and people were just living, living ungodly lives told this total disregard for God that here was a man named Enoch who was faithful to God and, and, and he walked faithfully with God for, for about 365 years and then God took him. God took him. He's, he's one of only two people in the Bible that we record that we read that, that never died, that God took them up. And this same Enoch would write about God one day coming back to administer judgment on the earth. And that he would convict the ungodly for the ungodliness and that he would judge those who have spoken against him. So much like you would, uh, you would discipline a wayward child by reminding the child of the consequences that others have faced for making the same bad decisions so that they don't make the same bad decisions. Enoch warns that we must be aware of the fact that God is coming to administer judgment over sin. Here's the question I want to ask you this morning, and it's a question that as I was preparing the message, I, I asked my wife about because I, I wanted to get her perspective on it. And it's a rhetorical question, but it's something for you to think about. Can those who walk with Christ share in the outcome or punishment reserved for those who walk in sin? Think about that. Can those who are walking with Jesus share in the outcome or punishment for the sin that is for sin that is reserved for those who who walk in sin. Here's the thing: simply identifying that you're a Christian is not a safety net against dealing with the consequences of sin. Jude addressed the fact that these individuals were telling these believers that because you're a Christian, that anything you do going forward is covered, so you can do whatever you want. It doesn't matter how you live. It doesn't matter what choices you make because it is covered. It is, it is already taken care of at the cross, and so you can do whatever. But here's the problem. Jesus didn't die so that we can become more enslaved to sin. 
He didn't die so we can, be, we, we, can be, we, we can give ourselves more and more to sinful lifestyles. He died so he can break the, the power of sin over our lives. You know, so, so this idea that, 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 that because we're in Christ, it means that we, we don't have to deal with the consequence of sin. It is false. And that's what these individuals were telling the believers then. That, that yeah, it's okay for you to, to, to be promiscuous. It is okay for you to, to be covetous. It is okay for you to be dishonest. It is okay for you to live however you please. Why? Because, quote unquote, you are covered by the blood. And Jude said, that is, that is not right. You cannot claim to live for God. Or claim to be, be, be with God, but you don't live for Him. And he made this case that because God is coming back to judge sin, even if you claim you're a follower of Him, because you're a follower does not, does not preclude you from facing judgment if you continue to walk in sin. Again, can a believer who walks in sin be excluded from experiencing the outcome reserved for those who experience sin. You know, I, I, I had this thought and I wanted to share with you as, as, as I quickly may wrap up this point. You know, God doesn't categorize sin when it comes to punishment. God doesn't say, well, this sin is more serious than this sin. So when I come to judge, I will judge this sin differently from this sin. No, the Bible says all sin separates us from God. So maybe the greatest sin you've committed is you lied. God looks at that just as egregiously as he looks at one who murders. We like to, we like to assuage our own conscience, conscience and say, well, you know, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I'm not as bad as this other person or what they've done. But here's the thing. When God comes to judge, he's not going to have categories. He's not going to have levels and then judge each level differently. He's coming to judge sin. And when he comes to judge sin... If we are caught up in sin, how can we expect that he will, he will shield us from the consequence of sin? The better truth we must hold on to is the fact that in, in, our walk, in walking with Christ, we are called to separate ourselves from sin. So that being separated from sin, we're able to live a life that pleases God. These false teachers were suggesting by identifying with Christ, it meant that they were covered. But friends, there is no such thing. If you and I choose to walk in deliberate sin, where is the cover for that? This is why Paul said that, that grace is not available to us so that we can continue to walk in sin. That's not the point of grace. Grace is to, is to, is to, is to enable us to experience what we, what, we, what, what, what we did not deserve, which is the mercy and, grace, the mercy and forgiveness of God. But, but as, we, as we're walking with God, and, and again, I'm not suggesting that, that, that you know, any, any little thing that we do, any, simple, any, any sin we commit or transgression against God's word we, we commit, that it means that God is ready to just lay the hammer down on us. What I'm saying to you this morning is this. God's word reminds us that sin will be judged so that we, we, we are accountable to that reality and we are seeking to walk in his will for our lives. And, and it, it can be a very difficult thing because, because the idea isn't for you and I to become performance-based. I think that's the, that's the, that's the goal. It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not thinking that I have, to, I have to always have this checklist. Oh, did I do this? Did I do this? Did I do this? And, and live in constant fear. That's not the point. It's this idea that, that because we're called to walk with Christ, that we're, we're meant to live by His Spirit and allow His Spirit to lead us in how we live so that our lives bring glory to him and if we do something that we should not do and the holy spirit brings it to our attention that what we do what do we do we repent everybody say repent we say god forgive me i've offended you I'm not going to justify what i've done or excuse what i've done i've offended you and i'm sorry god have mercy on me forgive me again embracing false teaching will expose us to god's righteous judgment against sin 
And here's the last point. Embracing false teaching is not, does, does not do any good to us. Why? Because it appeals only to the selfish appetites and desires of our nature, a nature that is corrupted by sin. In verse 16, Jude describes the underlying motives of these individuals. He says that they are grumblers and fault finders. He says they follow their own evil desires. He says they boast about themselves. And then he says they flatter others for their own advantage. And what you may not notice in those verses, verse, that verse is this. Every single one of those characteristics describe a people who um, are focused on self. It's all about me. So when they grumble or they find fault, it's because they're not having their own way. When they are following their own evil desires, it's because they choose to be, uh, they, they choose to be self-absorbed in their sin. When they boast about themselves, self-serving, when they flatter others for their own advantage, it's all about them. Everything that they do is about them. You know, again, so, so not, not calling names, but when I think about some of, some of the, the charismatic, you know, you know, preachers that are very popular in culture today, you know, many times I think about, many times, many times I'm, 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 I'm drawn to more so than what, you know, in addition to what they teach, I'm always thinking, what are you gaining by, what you, by, by the platform that you've been given? Are you using this platform to exalt God or are you using this platform to exalt self? And, and it, you know, there have been times where you know, I, I'll watch, you know, whether it's a video or I'll read a story about something that's happening with some ministry around the world, and I'm thinking to myself, and the first thing that always comes to my mind is, does this person not fear God? Because, because here's the thing, this person doesn't understand that, that this platform that they have, whether God gave them that platform or they took it upon themselves to seize upon this opportunity to try to, try to lead or fall in after themselves, that one day they're going to stand before God and give account. And, and for me personally, this is this you know this is why what I do I take very seriously because I know that one day I'm going to stand before the Lord, and the question is going to be did I did I did, did, was this about me, or was this about him, and and and, and, and to a certain degree is the same for you as well, that how you live your life, how you exercise the influence that God has given you in the world He's called you to reach, is it about you or is it about Him, because one day we're all going to give account. Jude tells us that every one of these false teachers are only appealing to their own, are only appealing to their own selfish appetites and desires, and in doing so, they're appealing to the selfish appetites and desires of their audience. In our unhealthy focus on self, we reveal that it is self and not Christ that is actually king. Again, we cannot claim to be for Christ while embracing teaching that contradicts the truth about Christ. And I think this is why Jude was so passionate about writing this letter because he wanted them to understand you, you, are, you are in a dangerous place. Not only, not only spiritually in the sense that you are walking away from the truth of Christ and then walking away from the truth of Christ, you're walking away from Christ himself. But that this truth, that you, that these, these ideas that you're embracing um, about God that are not consistent with what you've been taught will actually destroy you. Again, I take, take you back to the story of Jim Jones and his followers. If any one of those individuals had been told that following this man will, will end ultimately in your demise, how many of those would have still said yes? But that's part of Satan's deception, though, is that he never brings to the fore the consequence of embracing that which is aside or distorted, different from what God has revealed. He never does that. He hides that, if anything. 
He cloaks that. And what he does is he, 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 he presents the part that appeals to our flesh. He presents the part that appeals to our desires, our appetites, the things that we, the things we think that, that, that God exists for. To, to bless me, bless me, bless me, give me, give me, give me, do this for me, do that for me. And, and, he, and that, that's all he presents. So that, so that God becomes nothing more in people's eyes than a genie who simply exists to just cater to our needs. But what he hides from, from every one of those people is the fact that, is that behind that decision to embrace false teaching is destruction. We have a responsibility in contending for our faith to not only know truth, stand up for truth, but also be on the lookout for one another. I said this last week and I'll repeat it again. We have a responsibility to each other that as we are walking this journey with Christ, that we are not simply saying, well, that's their relationship with Jesus. Let them figure that out on their own. That we are coming alongside you because we are family. I mean, think about a, 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 you know, a nuclear family, a, a husband, wife, children, or brothers and sisters. I mean, you know, as much as we fight in our own home, right? As much as we may argue with each other, I said to my siblings, as much as we used to quarrel and we used to get on each other's nerves, if somebody outside our family try to get between us, oh no, it's going to be a fight. No matter how many times I may have told my sibling, I, don't, I wish you were not my brother. But if somebody tries to come between, come, come at them, they're going to see the worst of me. That needs to be our attitude when it comes to the church, the body of Christ, and the enemy. When I say the enemy, I'm not talking about people. I'm talking about Satan. That we are so protective of each other that we're unwilling to allow anyone to go astray. Why? Because we know that, that, that going astray is not going to end well. And that we look out for one another. Our best defense, friends, against false teaching, I say it again, is to be prayerfully saturated in the word of God. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 119 verse 11. I have stored what you have said in my heart so that I won't sin against you. Choose, choose, choose to live above the influence of false teaching so that you can experience the peace that only God can give you. Choose. To be a, a discerner of the word, a, a student of the word. Again, not in your own human intellect or understanding, but, but allowing the Holy Spirit to lead you. And to help you to discern what is, what is consistent with God's heart versus what is, what, what is, what is simply a, a, an expression of the flesh. And allow God to lead you accordingly. Because especially in the times that we're in, it is easy for us to fall into deception, friends. This is part of why I mentioned you know, that, that you know, too many times... You know, we don't, we, don't, we don't spend enough time in the Word and allow the Holy Spirit to, to truly sanctify our hearts with the Word. You know, we, 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 we spend more time on social media listening, you know, embracing ideas and, 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 and thoughts and opinions that on the surface sound right, but, but when you dig deeper, they're not biblical. And, and if we're not in the Word, we will never be able to know what the difference is between what is biblical and what is not. So the challenge for us today, friends, is to... Get back to this word. Not judging anyone, but if you, if, if you don't spend time in the word, get back to the word. Get back to the word. Can I tell you this? The, the, longer, the longer I walk with the Lord and the more I spend time in the word, I am encouraged. There are times where I am uncomfortable with what I read, where God confronts things in my life that need to be confronted. But, but I, I, I embrace that confrontation knowing that it's for my good. And that God would never lead me astray. And that's the confidence that you and I can have today. 
So, so, so let, let us contend for our faith in the sense that not only are we, are we, are we making sure that we are, we are, we are, we are def- defending our faith by living for the Lord and, and being faithful to Him, but we must also be on the lookout for, for those false influences that are out there and be willing to speak up, be willing to confront, be willing to encourage, to, even if we have to rebuke, but we do so always in love. Why? Because we do not want anyone to perish because that's the heart of the Father. I don't know what your relationship with the Lord is today. Maybe, maybe, maybe for you, you know, a relationship with God is nothing more than just being religious. God invites you to relationship because He wants you to truly know Him. And, and, and the difference that a relationship with God can make, goes, it, it, it's so much more than just mere, mere, uh, mere awareness of who God is or, 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 or a surface understanding of what He's like. God wants to take us deeper. And so let's, let's hunger for, for, for more. Let's hunger for a deeper experience with God. Let's allow God to speak to us through His Word and to draw us near to Him because that's, what, that's what's going to help us stand, friend. The truth is what's going to keep us going. Amen? I want to invite you to buy His with me this morning as we pray. And, you know, as I was thinking about the message, for me, again, just going back and reflecting my own heart and asking the Lord to search my own heart, to, to identify, Lord, have, have there been times in my own life where I've embraced teaching or ideas that, that were not consistent with your word? And, and I'm grateful for the Holy Spirit and for the work he's doing in, in bringing revelation to my heart. But, but I'm, I'm also praying the same for you as well. I'm praying that God would bring revelation to you, that God would help you to know the truth about who he is. And that as you are saturated in the truth, that... When the enemy comes at you with a lie, with a subtle lie, that you can discern that it is not from God and you can resist it, you can reject it, not give it any foothold in your life. And then then just as you are doing that, 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 that God is also using you to do the same for others as well, to encourage and to build others up in their walk with Christ. My prayer for you today is that, is that God will help us to walk with eyes wide open as the Spirit is leading us. So that we can we can be we can be we can experience this truth, but also be 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 channels through which that truth is made 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 available to others. Heavenly Father, we come before your throne of grace and mercy this morning, and I just I just want to say thank you, Father, for for this this study in in the book of Jude we've been on these last few weeks. What what Jude says is 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 so true. Anything, Father God, that is not from you, Father, is, 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 is certainly not, not, not for our good. God, we can, we can look at you know, things that give the appearance of being, being right, being uh, beneficial, God, but, but Lord, unless we are willing to filter those things, Father God, through your word, God, there is no way for us to know if, if we are truly embracing that which is beneficial or not. And God, I think back to stories, instances, Lord, of times where people have in, in, in their, their, their desire to know you and their desire to, to pursue you, God, have been led astray because they, they weren't able to discern the truth from the lies that they were being told. Some, Father, have lost, God, their lives over, over such deception, God. And, and God, there are many who are walking in deception even today. God, I pray, I pray that you would move by your Spirit, Father God, beginning within your church, within the body of Christ, giving each one of us a, a hunger, God, to know you, a hunger to know your truth, 
a hunger, God, to, to allow that truth to change our lives and to reflect that truth so that others can be drawn to Christ as well. God, I pray, forgive us, Lord, for the times where we have looked to the world, God, for our to define our worldview more so than we've looked to you and to your word. God, help us, Lord, in every aspect of our life to reflect Christ in everything we say and everything we do and how we act. And God, if there's anyone that is here today whose desire, God, is to just is to go beyond just mere religion, but God, they desire relationship. Much like, Lord, I think of the human relationships that I have and the impact that they have on my life. God, in a greater, in a, to a greater degree, God, a far greater degree, God, a relationship with you changes us totally. And God, your desire, Lord, is to change someone here today, God, who, who is not walking with you. And God, by, by embracing Christ today, that God, they can experience the freedom that comes from walking with Jesus. And that God, they can know truth that brings liberation every single day. God, thank you because your word tells us the Lord, we, if we call on the name of the Lord, we shall be saved. We call on you, God, you will rescue us, you will redeem us, you will save us. And God, for whomever that may be today, God, I pray that even now, if they call on you, God, that you will meet them in their place and point of need. That God, by acknowledging that, that only through Jesus can they come to know the Father. That God, to, today, God, they can experience the right to become a child of God. Call you Abba, Father. And God, I thank you for a local church that can come alongside them and support them and encourage them in that, in that pursuit of, of, of walking with Jesus. Again, God, thank you for reminding us once again of the importance, God, of being a people of truth so that, God, we can not only speak for truth, but, God, we can also, Father God, bring truth to bear in the lives of others around us. Thank you, Father, for your word. May we be doers, God, not just hearers today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.